We are live, 365, shake my hand. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm not gonna be using the big lights today, guys. It's so hot in Graham's town. I've got the aircon on, um, and I feel like lights in my face will, will just uh, make matters worse. So if it's okay with you, especially for those of you who stream this on the YouTube channel, trust you can see me clearly. I mean, the, really the whole point is just to hear me loud and clear. I appreciate you. Today's Tuesday. Uh, uh, we are filming episode 26 of the Money Heist podcast. If you're new to the podcast, this is where I read a chapter a day for you of a great book until I finish that book. That book is designed to solely but surely impact and change your life. And I have a feeling that the book we're reading right now, which is the Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money by one of Japan's greatest, right? Ken Honda is really much in line with the ethos of the podcast and the whole point of the podcast at least from my perspective the more we know the better our level of operation some of these books so far i've already read many times i know the books we're doing so far because they're the books i drew the most practical application to change my life about five to six years ago now you know give or take so that's why we are doing this right and just a, a quick announcement on the podcast Monday is moving forward. I will be doing a reading live on my Facebook, but absolutely nothing to do with trading, finance, or stuff that we're doing right here in the 365 Money Heist podcast. Okay, so that's why on Mondays, there won't be a Money Heist podcast because I can't do two live readings in one day. On Mondays, I'll be focused on socioeconomic, political, uh, eco-social issues, and there, from there, I'll be reading texts around social theory specifically anarchism so if you're interested in that kind of stuff then you can catch me live at 8 p.m on facebook but for for, for 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 every other day of the week that's tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday and tuesday again we will be filming the money heist podcast right as usual no day missed chapter every day to change your life right guys so let's quickly jump into what we need to get into today which is chapter two of, of, of this brilliant book, Happy Money. I mean, by now we should know a couple of things. Number one, money is a neutral energy. I think neutral is a big, big, big part of, of what you know Ken was trying to stress because if something is neutral, it's positive or negative impact is based on what you put inside it, right? So there are a couple of things that, you know, if I pull out my notes that we learned in chapter one, and even though I've read this book three times, I'm still making notes because there's a lot of important things, right? So money is a vehicle for emotions. That's obvious, right? Happy money, unhappy money, right? People want money so they can express love and appreciation, which was a perfect example of, I guess, happy money. Happy money, and that's what he wants us to focus on, compounds uh, at high rate of interest, right? So the person you give it to, use it, multiplies, and that same energy comes back to you. However, in chapter one, he also dealt with very key important things that I think affect us in our day-to-day -day living. Number one, the myth of scarcity. The myth of the supply is limited from the first book that we did together in the podcast, which was the science of getting rich, that the supply is limited. The supply is not limited. The, 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 the competitive nature of human beings, which is a very, 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 very terrible thing because it hinders your ability to become a creator. And if you can't become a creator, your relationship with money is of constant frustration. If your relationship with money is of constant frustration, anger, you know, 
all those negative emotions when it's now time to release money when money comes to you there is that relationship too so you are constantly involved in what he calls unhappy money the other thing he touched on in chapter one was the three functions of money right in which we covered you know in the previous episode and then basically the six reasons why we want money which is quite a simplistic understanding but pretty accurate and finally and even more importantly which was which i thought was a perfect way to end um, 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 a chapter was talking about the Zen approach to happiness and money, right? And, and, and that's a beautiful way to kind of like just wrap up the summary. So tonight I'll be looking at chapter two of the book and the title of the chapter is Money IQ and Money EQ, all right? So Money IQ and Emotional EQ, Money EQ. I'll start. In my early 20s, before I had good fortune of learning from my mentor, Wei or Wei, you know, it just depends how you pronounce the Chinese name, I started studying the concept of money intensively, reading any book that money, that had money or investment in the title. That's kind of like how I did it. Like I was, I was privileged to be linked to a big university. So I went into the uh, business study sector, the economic sector, and I just sat through books. All the time until I figured out my path right when I finally figured out my path and my path is financial markets uh, I then just kept throwing uh, what I was learning and then knowing where to seek mentorship to better my game right so I just moved from course to course education center to an education center mentor to mentor until I got to a place of market or knowledge saturation right I attended seminars and lectures of well-off business people in order to impress the speakers I made an effort to pose interesting questions after the lecture and then followed up with a complimentary letter in which I asked to take them or, or to take take me on as their dis disciple or assistant most of the time these methods of flattery didn't work but some of the recipients liked my passion and took me out for lunch and shared their knowledge and experiences with me. And it was from these encounters that I discovered that not all wealthy and seemingly successful individuals are the same. And that even though they look like they have it all from the outside, they real, their, their real lives are quite different from the way they present themselves. Once while waiting for a new mentor of mine to show up for a scheduled meeting, I casually asked his secretary about him. She looked somewhat puzzled and said, I just started working here, so I don't know him well. Not long after that, I learned that not many people stuck around long enough to get to know him. Because of his harsh, demanding attitude, people left his office only months after they'd started working for him. By the time I realized this, I was rushing to the door myself. However, other millionaires I met were warm, friendly, well-respected, and loved by people who worked for them, who had nothing but good things to say about their employers. These leaders are what we call the real deal. A general rule I go by is that when the staff speaks ill of a leader behind his or her back, chances are he or she is not the decent, not that decent of a person. You can get away with appearing wonderful to the masses for a little while, but the people who interact with you on a day-to-day -day basis will know who is the real deal and who is not. Having money and trappings of success doesn't always equate to being a person who has something positive to offer to the world. Uh, to the world. There's more to it. But this brings us to an interesting quadrant. 
Why are people who are phony, cunning, and shrewd seemingly so successful and wealthy? It doesn't add up. I wanted to get to the bottom of this. When I first started my investigation, I thought there was a clear path to becoming successful. A definite order to the steps you could follow. Simply put, the popular notion presented in a lot of financial books is this. You work hard, you make money, you save it and invest it, and then someday you will be rich. I naively thought that would be the way I would do it too. But is it that simple? As you already know, in reality, people who work hard and make a lot of money don't necessarily succeed in the traditional sense. Then there are those who are quite shrewd and cunning with money. The thing I realized about this second type of person is that their reputation eventually catches up with them. Trust me, word always gets around. And in the long run, being a con artist or even just disingenuous business person doesn't pay. Sure, someone might succeed once or twice, but keeping up appearances simply isn't sustainable. And people in this category tend to be greedy. They want all the fame and attention and the money for themselves. So they cut corners, pinch pennies, and withhold money from people who are deserving of it. In contrast, I found that people with warm hearts and sincere interest in benefiting others often succeed in the long run. Generosity seemed to be their hallmark. In addition, they are more relaxed, their more relaxed attitude toward their money. Uh, one of my mentors said, the key to success is always lose just a bit every time you make a deal. Right. If you read um, 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 how, how to negotiate or the art of negotiating, there's a book about nego negotiating. Kind of like deals with the same thing. It was written by a former FBI hostage negotiator who then became a business consultant in, in closing merger deals in America. But yeah, it's kind of like the key to success is always lose just a bit every time you make a deal. And what he meant was that everyone walks away feeling good and that the other party feels like he or she won. As a result of this practice, he got a great reputation for being honest and sincere, always putting his business partners and clients first. No one ever felt like they were getting taken advantage of by him. Once he established this reputation, he never ran out of clients or business because everybody wanted to work with him. But was his story an an abritation, I wondered. I had observed many cunning people, kind people, and everyone in between, great businessmen who never seemed to catch a break, successful business owners who seemed to make obscene amounts of money but lost it all, and successful people who didn't seem to have a clue as to what they were doing. I also witnessed people who never went to college and had never been received, had never received basic knowledge on investing but found amazing success because they were great at what they did and clients liked them. Financial wisdom consists of two parts, money IQ, money EQ. Money IQ, intelligence coefficient, is focused on financial intelligence, which you obtain when learning about investing, tax law, general monetary law. Money EQ, emotion coefficient, I'm struggling with this word today, right? So there's emotional intelligence, basically. Is emotional intelligence required to deal with your reactions toward money? I'm going to have to also highlight all of this in my new copy of this book. Um, those of you who don't know, I have to buy a new copy every time I do a podcast because my previous copy is 
you know, a, a bit torn out, man. I've highlighted and written all these notes, but this is very important. Uh, this is kind of like the stuff I'm working on with my seven-year-old right now. Money EQ, money IQ, um, which is, it's interesting. When I teach him stuff, I realize how many things I can't take for granted. And then I start to wonder and I get so scared because he's seven. And then I, I realize in the trading academy, I run a trading academy, if those of you don't know, I have to use the same approach all the time. I have to assume that the other person, a registered 365 student, a broader community of people who are traders, but are not even in the academy, that they might not know what I assume is the simplest thing, right? Oh my goodness. On YouTube, can you guys hear me? I just realized that my earphones were plugged in. I hope you guys could hear me. Hope you can hear me better now. Um, 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 but yeah, so, so emotional EQ and emotional IQ are the two pillars, right, when it comes to financial wisdom. Now, even though you have an MBA education, if your money EQ, emotional intelligence, is low, you could very well end up losing money. That is why there's a long list of extremely intelligent individuals in this world with lots of letters after their names who have made bad choices and gone bankrupt in order to achieve happy money life. You need to have both a healthy money IQ and a healthy money EQ. Once you know about the intelligent and the emotional aspects of making money, you will have a great relationship with it. Whoa, I finally got it. I felt the mystery of why some people have money and some people lose it was solved. But knowing this information and being able to do something about it are two different things. Since first learning this lesson from my own mentor, I've seen two, I've seen a thing or two in my day and even experienced times when I made uh, I, when I made and lost money and I finally say I have arrived at a place where I have happy money and live comfortably. Some call me a happy little millionaire. Somehow, somehow, somehow do you get your... This is terribly written now. So it's not me. Sorry, guys. So how do you get your, your, your money IQ and your money EQ, it was me, <laughs> up high enough so that you can live the life of a happy little millionaire like me? I think the first thing you need to do is to understand the basics. I love basics. Right. Money IQ, which is money intelligence, right, from the perspective of a happy little millionaire. Money IQ tends to be misunderstood as money management, okay? But that, is, but that is not its function, or its key function rather. Sure, it is necessary to understand the deeper meaning behind intellectual aspect of money. That means looking at how you make, spend, and protect, and increase it. Making money the way a happy little millionaire would means, would means doing the thing you love to do and sharing the gift or talent with others. When you put the most importance of being your sincere, true self and share your joy with those around you, you inevitably succeed. In order to make money, many people believe that they need to betray their own values or control others. Making money is not about finding ways to defeat the competition or more easily and effectively turn a profit. Making money means being true to yourself and then being able to share your abilities with the world. As a result, 
you spread joy everywhere you go and the money you receive is simply an expression of the clients and the patrons gratitude i mean i find it fascinating that you can read a book in the 1920s written by some guy in america you can read a book in the early 2000s by a guy in japan and both of these guys are talking about money and both of them seem to say don't compete uh, gift in service to people more than you receive in cash value. Uh, um, um, it's, it's amazing, which again reiterates why we started with the science of getting rich. Because if the science of getting rich is true, then every single book we're going to deal with in the podcast for the rest of our lives must be aligned to that. There is actually one very specific key way of getting wealthy and keeping your wealth. And these, these two books that we've done right now, The Richest Men of Babylon and Happy Money, after the science of getting rich, keep reiterating the same principles right so i hope at some point that repetition cycle you start to see the benefits of it in your own life so making money is done spending money when you spend money like a little happy little millionaire with a high money iq you don't do it with an eye to 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 being thrifty instead you spend your, your spending is always conscious you are mindful of your true self and what makes you happy. And therefore, you're able to put your money toward the things that best express your desires. You don't want to waste your money on things that don't benefit your well-being. And because you have made these conscious choices, the result is that you never feel like your money is wasted. One of the best books that details... Uh, 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 and analyzes how people spend money that results in the highest levels of satisfaction is happy money the science of happier spending by elizabeth dunn and michael norton they look at all the ways in which people spend their money and those who spend on experiences that align with their values seem to be the happiest overall the poured over studies and observed human behavior and found that those who were focused not on accumulating things but rather on experiencing things and being fully alive in the present moment which is a good definition for zen right zen is being present fully present so a lot of people most of you at some point i mean if, if you're in the trading academy at some point when i launched the trading psychology module some of you need to start meditating that like is just they're just some things that your mind cannot focus on. And if you can't focus on it, you can't pass the test. You can't pass that mental test, right? So being fully present, there are very short med meditation practices. You can look at transcendental meditation, which is something I learned from Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio being the second largest, if not the largest hedge fund manager in the world, all right? Uh, transcendental meditation doesn't take time. It's super effective. There's another meditation technique called being mindful. Mindfulness is something that we teach our seven-year-old, literally, when he can't control his emotions, when his entire uh, sense of being falls apart, as little kids would have. Being mindful is a nice way to center yourself. A lot of adults, and, and I mean this no, no offense. Right? A lot of adults go through life without even knowing how to be a, a functioning 
money IQ'd, money EQ'd individual. And, and that Zen, when he writes Zen here, alive in the present moment, is because we use money as a battering weapon to fix our past and to pave a way for our future. And we completely misdiagnose the present moment, right? So being Zenful is absolutely important, right? Felt based. So, so being alive and present in the Zen felt best about how they spent their money. If spending money, as I continue to read, well means being thrifty or saving, then life can become a bit agonizing. In fact, life becomes a game of putting one's wants further and further away. You, want, you may want to investigate your instincts to be careful and thrifty. So people, there's nothing wrong with saving, but he's basically saying people oversave. People are always very panicky, very fearful about the future. Those type of people are going to have another series of unfortunate events with money because they still haven't learned about how to be present. He's not against saving. I don't think he is, but he's simply talking about why it's important to reflect. Investigate your instincts to be careful and thrifty. Why are you afraid to spend? Which of your fears are associated with spending? What price are you willing to pay for things that make you happy? When you access your priorities and are mindful of activities that truly bring you, you joy, you can spend more comfortably and know that money you do spend is being used intelligently. So we've looked at making money, spending money, and then number three, protecting money. Protecting money is less about hoarding it and keeping it away from others and more about creating meaningful relationships around money and others and keeping the boundaries between them clear. If you've ever felt that there are people in your life who have designs on your money, such as family, friends, employees, and clients, then the problem isn't with the money, it's your relationships. If any one of these people would plot to take money from you, then there is a problem. For example, one of the most commonly and costly causes of divorce is money issues. Either the husband or the wife tends to spend more than the other, uh, would like or can afford usually one party keeps important financial information from the other in order to protect themselves or their money the result a fractured relationship which are, which inevitably leads to a divorce and in the attempt to protect their money they end up losing more to begin with anyone who has been through a divorce knows just how costly it can be so the best way to protect one's money is to protect one's relationships with people. This obviously includes being clear and forthright on the terms and promises and always obeying the law. But the most important thing that you can foster is foster relationships which you can communicate openly and honestly if the relationships with the people around you are honest and clear. There is little need to protect your money far beyond that. All right, so remember guys, all these things, right? These very, very things that we're reading right now all make components of money IQ, of money intelligence, right? So money intelligence in, in the previous page, he says, is not just about money management, right? Money management is a key function, but it's not the only thing we do. And in money IQ, the key components so far are how you make your money, how you spend your money, how you protect your money, and number four, increasing money. Whoa, excuse me. 
Right. Now, when we talk about increasing money, most people automatically imagine investments and other techniques. However, for a happy little millionaire, increasing money is more than just surface level knowledge of the economy. Rather, it means finding a purpose that you believe in from the heart and then aiding that purpose with money. With the mind on the long term, you support your purpose in every way to make it successful. The important deciding factor in becoming a happy little millionaire is to align your money with your values and convictions. Your investment practices should include your own activities and businesses. And the fruits of your labors and the profits are yours to keep and enjoy. When you do this, you realize that markets will fluctuate so you don't worry about investing during downturns or crisis. You don't even consider whether or not you will profit because your priority is to support people who share your values and vision. The long-term gain is always the same. Is always the same. You become more successful because you are steadily investing and eventually markets turn around. In the meantime, all the good, happy money you invested and the causes and purpose you care so deeply have flourished. I mean, there's no ways I can ignore this, guys. I mean, this is simple. Stock market had an aggregate drop of about 24% and the last week, crypto markets had a general decline of about 50 to 60%. Um, 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 most people listening to the podcast, according to Spotify, the majority of listeners of the 365 Money Highs podcast are between the ages of 24 to 35. Now, let's say most people listening to the podcast are not anti-vax. So that means you're okay with being vaccinated for COVID. Cool. Then your chances of being killed by the different strains are reduced. I don't want to get into debates about COVID. I'm saying if definitely, definitely you're vaccinated and you believe in the science, then you're fine. Most people between the ages of 20 to 35, who are the general majority of people listening to this podcast, when they're crossing the roads, always look left and right. So let's say you cross your roads, look left and right, and you're vaccinated and you eat an avocado, a cabbage, something green. Granted, most people, God willing, will live until they are 60, 70, 80, roughly. It's a given, right? Now, um, this is a massive generalization. I mean, I stay in one of the most violent countries in the world, which is South Africa. So I can also say for every single woman listening to the podcast, there's one in three that they'll be a victim of gender-based violence, rape, or murder, right? So those are like just terrible society. But in the event in my scenario where you get to live your life up until you're 60, 70, 80, investing right now and that's what he's saying it's not financial advice i'm simply saying there's never been a single time unless you really really didn't know what you're doing and you chose a terrible 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 investment vehicle where you put money in and you just waited five to ten years to get money back all right unless you invested in something like zimbabwean economy in 2006 7 8 9 then of course you know there are those classics but most of us, generally speaking, due to technology and our smartphones are constantly bombarded with information. And 80% of that information is good information. The problem with good information is how to go about practically applying it. And that's where the 10% win. People know that there's metaverse. People know that there's crypto. People know that there's the stock market. But most people, people know about NFTs by now. You've seen the ads. You've seen the apes. You've seen it you know you've seen it 
Most people barely ever take the next step. The next step is to get yourself educated. After you get yourself educated, you start to think about the 10% rule. The 10% rule is to start making your money work for you. Specifically, your money must reproduce after its own kind. It's an old rule. Now, at some point in time, I hope to do a very classical video, which I'll be proud of for 10 years ago, but uh, 10 years to come. But money is, an, is a doubling game. All right, and I'm gonna keep referring to my son because my son is seven. I need him to know that he should never believe that he needs to work hard to make money. He needs to work hard to, to, to gain certain amount of cages, to get a big muscular body, he must go pick up weights. He needs to work hard if he wants to engage in physical labor, like jobs, like construction. But money has nothing to do with durability and working hard and extensive exhaustion. I want him to see money as a game because anything in life that is a game allows you to do better. If I put a joystick, if you've never played video games before, I promise you I'm gonna keep this short. But, but it, is, it is the podcast, so we got to talk about it. If you've never played video games before, I'll put a controller in your hand. The first two weeks of playing that video game, you are naturally going to be bad at the video game because you've never played the video game before. But if you stay at it, keep playing the video game, you naturally start to improve. My partner doesn't like gaming with me and my boy, but every time we give her the controller, she actually gets better and better to a point where we now can have her in our team. Right, and that's it. Now, if you think about money like that as a game, and it's a specific game, money is a doubling game. And what that means is, look at my bookmarks. All my bookmarks always represent money. So this is about 50,000, for those of you watching on YouTube, $50,000, it, it's worth it. It's a worthless piece of paper. Like all money, this is like a barrier check. It's an expired old currency um, I'm worth nothing. But if I was to give you, let's say this was 10 US dollars and I say money is a Dublin game. Your mind, your income, you need to play this game to win. Your job is to figure out how you can double it. Simple. If I give you 10 bucks, you are asking yourself, how can I get $10 to 20? And, and, then, and then the next big question is how long will it take? Right, if $10 and all I'm taking from the $10 is $1 and that's the 10% rule. How can I get $1 to represent the double of the original investment? If $1 is the original investment, then you just wanna double that to $2. If you can double, get two bucks, you can get four bucks. But what people don't understand is in the doubling game of money, if you look at the crypto charts, look at Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, 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 right now you should be looking at Decentraland, um, our basic metaverse coin, Solana, uh, um, uh, XRP just got big news today. If you look at all those little graphs and how they start, it always starts as a small minute doubling game. One dollar becomes two, two dollars becomes four, four dollars doesn't become six four dollars when you double four dollars you get 16 when you double 16 you get a crazy number and the math goes on it is absolutely insane how quickly if you play the game of money in a short term period of time you start to experience what is simply called compound interest you are 10 10 doubles you are 10 doubles away from a million US dollars with a thousand US dollars and a lot of people don't get that 
last year during escom i used to do short videos if you invested a thousand us dollars in shiba invested a thousand us dollars and you did nothing you invest and you hold for one year and you did nothing you'd be you'd be shocked if you invested a thousand us dollars in solana you'd have 1.1 something million us dollars today a one-year hold a double of a thousand US dollars is just two thousand, but double of two thousand is four, and double of four is sixty, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. I'll stop there, but it's just simple food for thought. Some things don't need aggressive work, they need a lot of aggressive patience, right? You gotta be patient in this game, right? But I, 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 I took the spotlight away from Ken, I do apologize, we'll get back to reading. Right, so, 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 wherever we were, you were talking about the long-term gain is always the same. The long-term gain. Money and wealth belongs to the long-term gainers. The aggressively patient people is always the same. All right? You become successful because you are steadily investing. The steadily investing means consistently, always, always investing. 10% in all the time. And eventually markets turn around. So just because we're in a dip right now does not mean we're going to stay there forever. In the meantime, all the good, happy money you invested and the causes and the purpose you care so deeply about have flourished. Right. So, so I think we're done with money IQ. Money EQ from the perspective of a happy millionaire. If I could just quickly drink something. Right. Money EQ is all about how we react to money emotionally. So it is necessary to understand the deeper meaning behind the emotional aspects of money. That means looking at how you receive, enjoy, feel confident about and share your money. The act of receiving is the most important thing when it comes to enriching your life. If you aren't willing to receive happiness and abundance, then no matter how much money you have, and no matter what high status you attain, you will never feel happy and abundant. I suffered from my inability to receive money. And for me, it was just pride. Straight up pride. Um, I, in fact, if I look back, you know, some of my toughest financial years, I didn't have to go through them. I just had a lot of pride. My parents were still alive. My parents were still working. Uh, my parents and I never had a big fight. It wasn't like a situation where they were not willing to, to, to help me. I just wanted to, you know, own my path. I was too proud, you know, too proudful. And he says, it's an art. Receiving money is the most important thing when it comes to enriching your life. Right, if you aren't willing to receive happiness and abundance, then no matter how much money you have and no matter how status you attain, you'll never feel happy and abandoned. Receiving means allowing yourself the freedom to receive and knowing that you have inherent value that is worth receiving good things. All right, and this is so important for traders because if you don't fix the emotional damage you have with money, you, you, your perception, it will affect your trades. And I, I mean, I've got an entire course now, finally, an entire module around trading psychology. So I won't waste time in the podcast about this. But please note, your, 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 how you feel when it's now time to receive money that's actually due to you or a blessing or a divine connection 
or, or, or the next step in your life requires a mastermind partnership. All those things that will require you to open and receive. Generally speaking, it is directly linked to your inherent value of yourself as a person and what you yourself as a person believe you are worthy of receiving. A lot of people think a thousand US dollars or 15,000 is a lot of money because the, that's the cap. They, 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 they don't even have the, the, the actual perception that they can become a millionaire. It's one thing to say, I want to be a millionaire, millionaire, millionaire. But when the opportunity comes, it comes with a test. And most people fail the test because they can't see you know, beyond that kind of stuff. So he's saying, look, man, the first thing you need to do for emotional, money EQ, money emotional intelligence is you must master the act of receiving. My brother has had an incredible hack for that and my brother does this thing so much better mindful things universal principles 10 times better than I do and his hack was simple he would wake up every day as part of his affirmation routine he would say he's lucky he's lucky and everything works via serendipity serendipity is this idea that you don't need to work for anything that things just come to you that the universe puts it together I stayed in the same town with my little brother for years. He quit everything. He cut off all financial streams and put his livelihood at risk to test the universal principles of serendipity. He wouldn't take money from me. He wouldn't take money from my parents. But for some reason, he was always eating. There was always an opportunity because he started to work out the art of receiving. He wasn't asking people for stuff. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't want to drag us today in today's podcast, but I could really talk a lot about this thing. Now, let me continue. I can't express how important it is to be willing to receive gifts and opportunities. Right? That's exactly what I'm saying. And chances given to you. Oftentimes, people fail to see the good things right in front of them. Instead of receiving them joyfully, they are so focused on a set outcome or their own negative beliefs. They miss the amazing opportunities right under their noses and set themselves up for failure by chasing things that aren't meant for them. Have you ever been so preoccupied with working hard to end the thing that you think you need that you missed out on something directly in front of you? If you shift your attention to the things that you can receive, you can begin to realize just how much you are given. When you open yourself up to receiving, that is the beginning of realizing true abundance. You know, just a small category of the world, which is actually quite large, is a group called Christians. And Christians have a tendency, you know, you know, to, 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 to apply half principles. In fact, that's why you find a lot of people who are not Christians extremely wealthy than most Christians because of this concept that poverty is very much linked to humility or something weird and bizarre, right? A lot of people are not Christians understand universal principles of money. But I'm bringing this up because there's an interesting scripture that says, give and it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And most Christians stop there. They don't mind giving. They don't mind pouring out because they find it as, as an act of sainthood. They find it as an act of service. But the scripture continues. It says, so shall men give unto your bosom. You, 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 the whole point is if you're going to plant a, a, a seed in the ground, you have to stick around for it to come back and bear fruits in your life. right? You have to stick around for that particular thing. So when you open yourself up to receiving, 
that is the beginning uh, of realizing true abundance right number two under emotional intelligence for money is enjoying your money when you appreciate yeah dropped in late now nah, shake my hand brother shake my hand now nah, uh, we're doing the podcast or not not a war room <laughs> when you appreciate something that you're enjoying you become truly connected to the present moment you are in the zen moment to be fully present and engaged is the definition of happiness and a lot of you are probably wondering how do i get into the zen moment if i don't know about meditation and i need to study about meditation between now and then leroy how do i get into the zen moment gratitude act of gratitude staying harmonious content with where you are with what you have that is a beautiful place to be locked into the zen moment there is no past your trauma doesn't matter no 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 i take that back uh, man it, i, I want to be very free in the podcast but i think we're still growing so some of you will get to know me i, I mean I speak as frankly as possible and I generally don't censor myself because I want to be as authentic as possible. Your past doesn't matter in as far as it is connected to where you are going is what I meant back there. It's just that I just am in a rush to keep reading. Your past does not matter in as far as it is connected to where you are going. But at the same time, where you are going doesn't matter in as far as what you need to do right now to get there. So Ken would say there is no past, there is no future, only the present, which is a gift. If your money now has the inability to make you happy now, it can't make you happy later. He's already told you different ways in the, in the previous uh, pages that it's got, it's got a lot to do with your inherent value. You make your money happy or unhappy money, right? Not the other way around. Money can't make you happy. Now, there's no past, there's no future, only the present, which is a gift. And when you're enjoying this gift, this present, you are experiencing this thing I've been referring to as abundance. However, most people don't feel this way. Most life is a competition. Even when they earn something, there isn't time to waste just enjoying it. They have to prepare for the next race. If, you, if they don't, they believe that maybe next time they will lose someone else. People in this competitive or scarcity mindset are disconnected from the present moment. They regret, they, they regret their past failures and worry endlessly and needlessly about the failure to come. The result is that they never uh, get to appreciate and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Isn't that the same as having no fruits at all? To experience abundance, you are required to be 100% in the moment. In order to enjoy life and wealth, stop and smell the proverbial roses. If you're always rushing through each moment simply to get to the next, you are missing out on all the abundance that is available now, right? So receiving money, enjoying money. Number three, trusting the money flow. In the introduction, he told us that money flows right money is an energy so here we're talking about trusting the money flow we worry about money because we are afraid and can't trust that money will always come in this is important this is so good now to fully realize the potential of your life isn't just money and abundance that is important confidence in your own abilities matters as well 
Even when your supply of money is low, confidence and self-esteem lead to the heart of abundance. Oh my goodness. Yet it wouldn't be a stretch to say that many people are overpowered by doubt. Right, it's one, I just really, really, I, I won't talk on it. I just want to read it again just to really emphasize this. We worry about money because we are afraid we can't trust that money will always come in. The date today is the 8th of February as I do this podcast. On the 8th of February, there's already a lot of people stressed about how they're going to make rent for the 1st of March. You are worried about money because you're afraid and you can't trust that money will always come in. I'm telling you, to fully realize the potential of your life, it isn't just money and abundance that's important. Confidence in your own abilities matters. Traders get very anxious when they don't see the same numbers they are used to consistently because of a bottom line. Your true potential of your life isn't just money and abundance that is important. Confidence in your own abilities matters as well. When even your supply of money is low, confidence and self-esteem lead to the heart of abundance. Yet it wouldn't be a stretch to say that many people are overpowered by doubt. And the road of self-doubt leads to our only one place, fear. Fear of trying new things, fear of doing anything, fear of sharing your skills and talents, fear of ridicule. If you want to become a happy little millionaire, you have to master confidence in yourself and in your abilities, right? I always used to tell people I was going to be a six-figure trader in the, in the height of blowing accounts. That's when I used to say that thing out loud. It wasn't so much so that I was, I was, I was delusional. It was because I didn't want what my current reality of blowing accounts, uh, you know, to map out a future for me. You know, recently, about 48 hours ago, we learned that a great man passed away. Uh, you know, rest in peace, Bob, Pro- uh, Bob Proctor. But I came across Bob Proctor by luck uh, almost nine years ago. And it was because I was studying Bob Proctor back then. And we're going to do most of his books in the podcast. You know, as months go by this year, we are going to do a Bob Proctor uh, season, you know, book after book after book, just a brilliant human being. And one of the things that Bob Proctor emphasizes on is a paradigm shift, which he learned from Napoleon Hill, which speaks on auto-suggestions or reprogramming the conscious mind. And you can only do that by making sure that you're absolutely confident, which is through reaffirmations. Like you can reaffirm yourself up until you get there. But 100% when Ken says, look, man, people who are confident aren't that they are that way because they are rich. They are rich because they are confident. And and honestly, I believe confidence is a pre-setter to the road to riches, right? And there are practical ways. If you're a trader, you have to backtest. You won't be able to pull the trigger and take the trade if you're not confident in your strategy. You're not confident in your strategy because you can't trust that money will always come into your account. Maybe because of a history where you've lost so much money in the markets before. Because of that, you're not yet zenful. You're not yet present. You still have a past with the markets. Because of that, you're mapping out a future. Being zenful is negating those two things and fully being present. You can only be present if you're confident. You can only be confident if you're 
you're fully reaffirmed right so people who are confident aren't that that way because they are rich they are rich because they are confident you need to trust before you get money all success is an outgrowth of confidence and when we are able to trust the flow of money both in and out of our lives being confident starts to become natural a big cause of money stress is that people don't always trust the flow of money they are worried that the money they make will not be enough to support their future they worry that their ideas and projects won't be worth all the time and the energy spent but if we're going to be decisive and act with confidence we have to accept that money is a fluctuating thing it's got ups and downs ups and downs sharing is principle number three or four i believe receiving money enjoying money trusting the flow of money sharing then is number five sharing when you live in like happy like a happy little millionaire right that life is something to be shared you believe that life is something to be shared that specific life sharing your joy with people and offering your skills to them requires no hesitation basically why i'm doing the podcast um, you know that sharing joy with people increases your own personal joy exponentially once happiness is experienced as something you do with others you realize that there is really no other way to do it i promise you right now there is someone i mean and and, and I, I saw your whatsapp just before i started and someone from kenya sent me a whatsapp and said dude leroy you know there was no podcast yesterday and because it's late right now there is a no podcast today what's going on is everything okay and and to that person who sent me that message thank you so much because I believe in the power of one right so just this one person whose life is being affected in the positive about the podcast to a point where they actually notice when I don't post I truly appreciate you and it's not just you but I'm just saying that just happened right now as I was starting preparing to go live I got a message asking me is everything okay like you know there wasn't a podcast yesterday which I've explained why Mondays I'll be doing social economic overviews on Facebook live but other every other day we'll be doing our money heist podcast so I do appreciate uh, the message I got there from 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 a fellow student of ours in the academy from kenya right and that's the whole point sharing right you know that sharing joy with people increases your own personal uh, joy exponentially once happiness is experienced as something you do with others you realize that there really is no other way to do it doing something solely for yourself is no longer interesting sharing should be part of every aspect of your life whether you're sharing joy money services or gifts or talents uh, you know matters little it just matters that you do it that you share and that means sharing with everyone you meet with your family your friends your co-workers your clients your customers and your society the more you share and the more generous you are with your time talents and gifts the more abundance will fall or flow to you why the principle of sharing is connected to the natural law the natural world is one of sharing everything is tied together mutually when and when one part suffers the whole is thrown off balance if many people were to become more open to sharing and partaking in the joy of life together many of the world's problems would soon disappear 
as Leanne Twist puts it eloquently, in the soul of money, transforming your relationship with money and life, which is a brilliant book. Uh, the quote is, money is like water. It can be a conduct for, 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 for commitment, a currency of love. Money is moving in the direction of our highest commitments and nourishes our world and ourselves. What you appreciate, appreciates. When you make a difference with what you have, it expands. Collaboration creates prosperity. True abundance flows from enough, never from more. Money carries our intention. If you use it with integrity, then it carries the integrity forward. Know the flow. Take responsibility for the way your money moves in the world. Let your soul inform your money and your money expresses your soul. Access your assets, not only money, but also your own character, capabilities, your relationships, and other non-money resources money emotional intelligence types right your relationships with money express themselves itself in a pattern to a certain extent if you have never been taught about money you will never fall into one of a few common personality types knowing your own money pattern is a means by which to understand the motivation behind the actions you take the, step, the first step to creating a healthier relationship with money is to take an honest look at the map and acknowledge where you are standing right now. When you understand the situation you're presently in, the next step is to turn around and research how you got there and, and where you are from. You may realize quite a lot about yourself in this process. Explore family secrets, stories from your mother, your father's youth, even surprising facts about your grandparents and, and when they were growing up. All right. So he's basically talking about socialization. Uh, uh, researching your roots in this way allows you to understand yourself more deeply. Once you have identified your roots, you can reprogram yourself with new values that reflect who you truly are and who you would like to be. From a money EQ perspective, people who engage with money can be broadly separated into three types. The type who actively engage with money and tries to control it. The type who tries to have nothing to do with money and the type who actively tries to stay as far away from money as possible. I used to be number one. I wanted to control money. Very, very big on that back then, right? Far, far away as possible. Now, I call the type who actively tries to stay far away from money as possible. I call the type who tries to have nothing to do with money the indifferent type. And the type who actively tries to stay as far away as possible, the monk type. There's, there are always three variations of the type who actively engages with money depending on how they try to control it. The hoarder, the spender, and the money-making addict. These three types, in addition to the first two types I named in the paragraph above, make up the five most basic money personalities among the three personality types who actively engage with money. There are a few more common ones that show up as a combination of two or more of the basic types. For example, 
hoarder plus spender equals the repair the, the repressed spender type so if you've got a little bit of hoarding your money and a little bit of spending either the your money personality is actually a repressed so it's like a suffocated spender right type this is usually someone who saves up a certain amount and then spends and blows it all at once right spender plus money making addict is equal to the gambler type someone with this personality ends a lot it doesn't hesitate to spend a lot. A hoarder plus a spender plus a money-making addict equals the warrior type. Someone who gets worried a lot. Someone who is the combination of all three active money types is most likely to spend every waking hour of the day worrying. When it comes down to it, though there are several distinct money personality types, they that are the result of varying you know combinations of all the above let us find out which personality sounds vaguely familiar to you the money eq personality type absolutely loves saving money their favorite hobby is saving money right the money emo eq personality type and we're talking about the compulsive saver i didn't read the, the title the subtitle is the compulsive saver or the stockpiler this emotional eq personality type absolutely loves saving money their favorite hobby is saving money their special talent also happens to be surprise surprise saving money if they saw a quarter on the street they would pick it up and put it in directly um, uh, into their piggy bag at home they believe saving money is the best way to guarantee a sense of security in life. It is certain to their way of life that they are, their actual lifestyle is often quite frugal. Frugal means they, they, they spend very little, like they're very big on managing their expenses. They're usually experts of bargain shopping. They would be able to give you excellent advice on which phone company is the cheapest, which point cards are, are, are worth it and when to buy plane tickets at the lowest possible price. This type of person feels most alive when they check their savings account and see that there is going up, you know, going up and steadily at a steady rate. The compulsive saver type views enjoying the luxuries of life as a mortal enemy. In fact, it is usually a general rule that none of their hobbies or routine activities cost much money, if any at all. They have often forgotten the dreams of their childhood about how they wanted their life to turn out someday. No longer their childhood about how they wanted their life to turn out someday. No longer concerned with what inspired them to start saving in the first place. The backstory to the most compulsive savers comes from bad memories and fears about money from their childhood. They often grew up in a house without much money, suffering many painful or lonely experiences as a result. The family business may have gone bankrupt or their parents could have been unable to earn enough money. It is very common that efforts of a bankruptcy in the grandparents' generation to carry down all the way to the current generation passing along a fear that money will run out. I'll read that again. 
um, 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 the family business may have gone bankrupt or their parents could have been unable to earn money. It is very common for the efforts of a bankruptcy in the grandparents' generation to carry down all the way to the current generation, passing along a fear that money will run out. If this, is, if this personality type suffered due, due to their parents' poor relationship with money, they will often carry a strong determination not to turn out the same way. However, they are often unaware of or unable to recognize at what point fears about money took over and begin controlling and began controlling their lives. Compulsive savers are convinced that their reasoning is sound and that they're doing everything in just the right way. If you think you might be a compulsive saver, it might be a good opportunity to finally confront your anxieties or fears about money and look deeper into when you develop them in the first place. No matter how, how much you save, it will never erase unease your feel about money that motivates you to tightly hold on to as much as possible in the first place. Many compulsive savers are so afraid of running out of money that they will go their entire life without spending any of their money they saved up for so long. Subheading number two, the compulsive spender, spendthrift. The compulsive spender type simply loves spending money. If this money emotional intelligence personality type saw money on the sidewalk depositing it into a piggy bank like a compulsive saver would never occur to them as an option okay compulsive spenders would take it straight to the nearest vending machine and enjoy a free drink they would also never understand compulsive savers guilt over spending money or or something or or spending money on something instead feeling uncomfortable setting money aside as friends compulsive savers would be pretty boring to have around but compulsive savers but compulsive spenders will make sure at the time of your life they will fully embrace yolo the motto you only live once many compulsive spenders have a friendly outgoing personality and fun to be around they love giving gifts or threatening people to to, to something special for for no particular reason they will tell you that the reason for economic downturn is that people have stopped spending money and feel a strange sense of pride that they are single-handedly keeping the economy afloat. In extreme cases, compulsive spenders can be at risk of going bankrupt if they consistently spend more than they can earn. There is a reason that compulsive spenders behave the way they do. This personality type spends money in order to feel more in control. It's natural for people to feel a level of personal control over their surroundings when they, when they purchase something at the register. The staff responds politely with a bow, at least in Japan, and listens attentively to everything they have to say. It can give compulsive spenders a sense of self-respect or recognition of their worth as human beings. Uh, I mean, a, a much more clear example is, have you seen how people who think 
it's an accomplishment to shop at Woolworths Field, right? This is actually the power of branding. People wear original uh, Nikes. You wouldn't believe this, but about a year ago, I stay in a small town and I have no problem telling you this because I, I literally find it weird that people find it weird. But uh, someone bumped into me at a store called Pip. Now, if you're not, if, 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 if you're not from South Africa, you wouldn't know this, but Pip is an incredibly convenient store not like convenient store like a grocery store but convenient in the sense that it's got your basic everyday things and this person had been following my videos right and i am in a small town so already my options are very little but we have a woolworths in our small town but if you ask my partner and you ask my family i probably was lost in that woolworths shop four years ago and I was in there, not by my free will. My partner dragged me in there. Right? She goes in there by herself. But I have no problem shopping at Pep. My partner has no problem shopping at Pep. Uh, shopping at Chinese stores or whatever. And it's because oh, we long ago separated um, 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 attachment to things the way they are. Because those things, for some people, I didn't want to end up like those lifestyle people who I noticed that material things actually control them. I really... To protect the image of 365 to protect my vision at that particular time but to protect me from me i never wanted to have a single identity linked to materialistic things and i think it is a big trait of compulsive spenders right so uh, compulsive spenders in general right in most cases uh, are brought up in suffocating environments and i'm pretty sure ken's gonna talk about it very soon but, but, but most compulsive spenders are unable to truly enjoy the things they buy, all right? Uh, um, um, uh, uh, several items of new clothing may end up permanently stored away in a closet without ever being worn, you know, a single time. And sorry, the pep story, before I forget, sometimes I feel like I've got ADHD, which I know I don't, but I act like I do because I start a story and I don't finish. But this person was shocked. They're like, aren't you that guy from 365? Why are you shopping at Pip? And it's like, why wouldn't I shop at Pip? You know, this mindset is just a terrible, terrible thing. Now, as I continue to read, what's interesting about compulsive spender type is that in most cases, they were brought up by compulsive savers. So a lot of people use that adulthood and that new money to make up for their past. All the things that I didn't have growing up, or, or, or you know, you know, all the things that other children had that I didn't have, I'm gonna make sure I have it now. I see it in a different way when parents talk about sending their kids to absolutely brutally expensive private schools because they didn't get to go to private schools, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? We put our boy in a private school. I, I'm not shunning that. I'm just saying when I make such decisions, I always make sure I understand where it's coming from. All right, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with the actual decision. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm being presently mindful of what's going on and the decisions I'm making in my life. Now, what's interesting about compulsive spenders type is that most cases are brought up by compulsive savers. The way they spend money comes as a judgment or a reaction to the suffocation or boredom they felt growing up. All right. Chapter is, is is long, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing quite well, but I think I'm to, today I'm not going to finish the entire chapter. 
only so that I can maintain the best version of myself. Right, so I'm gonna finish this section and then tomorrow we can just pick it up where we left off. I mean, most of the chapters we've been doing have been about 10 to 15 pages and this one borderline ranges about 40 pages and I think we've already moved quite well. So I'm gonna finish this section. The next one is the compulsive money maker and then I'm gonna read a little about the indifferent to money type, all right, and then we'll call it a night, right, uh, or, or, or the end of the episode. The compulsive money maker personality type believes life works best when they're earning as much as possible. If this money emotional intelligence type found some money on the sidewalk, they did reassure everyone within range that it is proof that the lady luck exists and that she's always on their side they are the type of person uh, you know spends the majority of their energy on the improving their ability to make more money they don't feel guilty about choosing to focus on who on work you know efficiency time management skills or business success over spending time with friends or, or, or family this partly because they truly believe that everything they're doing is for the sake of their families. I, currently and historically, just so honest, was and for, for, for the most part, I am a compulsive money maker. And for me, it's just I work a lot. I do hours and hours of working and I constantly always find myself negotiating myself out of other things outside of work. So sometimes my partner will help me catch myself where I start to overly negotiate outside of family time so I can work. And it's a big problem of mine that I'm working on. I, we, we, I literally have a plan to address how to start to slow down, all right? Doesn't help that I started the entire podcast, but there's a bigger plan to actually slow down. Now, the compulsive moneymaker personality type believes life works best when they're earning as much money as possible. All right, this type of person spends the majority of their energy on improving their ability to make more money. They don't feel guilty about choosing to focus on work efficiency, time management skills, or business success over spending time with friends or family. This is partly because they truly believe that everything they are doing is for the sake of their families. And that is really what I still struggle truly believe right now. Compulsive money makers live off approval and recognition from others, their financial success. Unfortunately, they never stop craving more of the attention no matter how much money they make. And weirdly enough for me, the attention that I'm honestly craving for is that of human beings that don't exist. So I, I really have no, no other human being in the world that I, I care to impress except for my none existing grandchildren because my socialization and the way I was raised is my father kept telling me a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children so I want my grandkids to go damn Grandpa Leroy you know I hope they don't call me Grandpa Leroy but Grandpa Leroy worked his butt off to a point where I'm now 18 as a grandchild and I'm living off his gains which means he took care of mom and dad being my kids right their mom and dad's right so so those are kind of like the only approval voices that i that, that i'm quite fixated about but i need to work on a balance I, I i do take take you know all of this stuff quite seriously you know and i've gotten worse over the years right so come so so now the next group is indifferent to money type 
This type hardly realizes that money exists. <laughs> they come across a dollar in the street and they are likely to pass it without even noticing what it is. The indifferent to money person typically is found among professors, teachers, public servants, doctors, researchers, artists, and homemakers. They get on with life as though money is not an important factor. Daily life might look like waking up and taking their lunchbox with them to train to work, then spending the day focused on their tasks before returning home. Day can pass without them spending or giving much thought to money. The unconcerned, indifferent type will often, often leave managing finances up to a partner or a spouse to the point that being unsure of much they really even have or where important financial documents are. How much they will really even have or where important financial documents are. They are simply unconcerned. Of course, this type does not have to use money to live but their hearts are not tied up to the concerns over money. Being quite well off is a common characteristic of this type. For starters, they don't use money. <clears throat> right? So it actually is saved. It is naturally saved. They, they, they just don't care for it. From when they were children, they were financially comfortable and did not give much thought to money one way or the other. It might also be said that this type of characteristic, uh, it, this type is characteristically happy. However, if the person who manages their system of finance is no longer there, tragedy can assure. I once assisted an artist with legal affairs regarding his finances after his wife had always taken care of those sort of things suddenly passed. The man hardly knew where his wallet was and now found himself the only one responsible for his household accounting. This is this unconcerned type is happy so long as they can afford to be concerned uh, or to be unconcerned. But the reality of money responsibilities can and often does catch up with them. And I really would far much more for now rather be a con Impulsive money maker than a human being that is indifferent to money. Ladies and gentlemen, there are only like five major chapters in this book, but I do realize they are quite long for one sitting sometimes, especially if I'm doing this podcast at night. And what I'd like to do is to maintain that one hour maximum cap of our podcast so that I'm not, you know, I deliver, you know, the best version of myself during these readings. So, first thing tomorrow morning, I will be up and early to then continue this chapter for us and bring it to its absolute conclusion. I do thank you for your time. I mean, thank you. I hope you're learning a lot of stuff as we go about. Shake my hand and I'll see you in the next episode. 365. Peace. Goodbye.